What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. One, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Three, you will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-369. 5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. Baseball show presented by BetMGM on Wednesday, September 13th. Jack McMullen, Arm Layton, walking through David Stearns, appointed the new president of baseball operations for the New York Mets. What does that mean for Billy Epler? I don't know. What does that mean for the Mets? They got a lot better in the front office. Uh, Also, Pete Crow Armstrong debuts as a pinch runner. First big league start last night in Colorado. Matt Olson, the first of 50 in Major League Baseball. Kyle Wright came back from a shoulder thing and didn't look great. So we got to talk about that. Uh, And then the biggest headlines around minor league baseball. But before all that, quote of the NFL season dropped on Tuesday morning from Jets head coach Robert Sala. Quote, this is Zach Wilson's team. I saw that and I let out an audible. (laughs) That sucks. Yeah, that does suck. I I feel I feel for Jets fans out there. Uh, They got the dub, though. So uh, that was uh, that was a chaotic uh, Monday night. Imagine saying that after like week one of Aaron Rodgers is your new quarterback. Like this guy is future Hall of Famer immediately. One of the all time greats. And 
the Tuesday after Monday night football a week one, your head coach is saying this is Zach Wilson's team. Hard knocks curse is real. I can't script that. I yeah. that was so funny. It was like a gut punch. Um, I know that we have done this, the MLB comp for Zach Wilson, and your answer was Jared Kelnick. Yeah. Kelnick is back. We never really yeah, no, not Kelnick's old. Well, here's Zach Wilson's arc. Here's his chance to catch up to the Kelnick. But yeah, that is actually an important point. Kelnick was doing great in, in AAA, and there might be some needed reinforcements here coming for, for the Mariners offensively. They've got a 30-30 season from Julio Rodriguez. They optioned Cade Marlowe, which is interesting. Marlowe was on the 40 by the, the you know, I guess, September call-up deadline or by September 1. So I think Marlowe is like the perfect pinch hitter or pinch runner slash defensive replacement. Um, Kelnick for Marlowe is interesting. But if, if they can get Kelnick somewhat back to form and J-Rod is starting to hit his stride again, I feel really good about Seattle, I think. Yeah, it's it's funny. This team is it's very hot and cold with them. It seems like where they they're unstoppable and then they're very stoppable. So it, it's really hard every time I want to be like, "Oh, they're not going to look back now. They have a two or three game stretch where it's rough and then they get hot again and they go back and forth." But I think that the big part of what's making me feel good about this team is just seeing what Cal Rowley's doing as well. Uh and just being this guy quietly four win season and it's four and change by the time the season's over it'll probably be a four and a half win season you're getting that from your catcher and what what is what his second full season really like that's really impressive stuff and i think that with the slow start that that rally had and and what he's been able to do since that really makes me feel comfortable moving forward that this guy is going to be just almost a fringe all-star catcher every single year or at least a well above average catcher every single year moving forward. And I think he's starting to prove himself as an extension candidate for the Mariners who this would be the great time to do it. I think so. What more do you want from a young catcher? And I know you could say, Oh, well, I want him to not hit 220. He's always going to be a low batting average, but high OPS guy. Like that's, there are guys whose games are tailored to OPS and Max Muncy is the best example of that in LA. Um, you're going to see an example of that in Edouard Julien in Minnesota, but Cal Raleigh's that guy where I, Schwarber too. Schwarber's the best example yeah. of that because he's going to walk a ton and he's going to slug. Raleigh is a poor man's Schwarber, but he's a great defensive catcher. Yeah, I was like, a catcher. great defensive catcher. Yeah. I'll take that a catcher versus no position, right? Like so that yes. that's the amazing part about it. He's a great defensive catcher, as you mentioned, and his numbers now from from last year are are almost identical. So you you. Imagine that maybe next year he doesn't have as dramatically of a slow start. He could potentially have a 35 home run season right now. It's 27 home runs last year in 119 games, 28 home runs this year in 128 games, 4.1 F4 last year, 4.3 F4 this year. He's cut the strikeout rate a little bit. He's up the walk rate. Like I think this guy's going to keep getting better. This is, this is a building block for the Mariners. And again, we're talking about how like Otani, that could be a landing spot for them. I'm just looking at, free agents in general with the way JP Crawford's playing. Like they have a lot of positions kind of settled up. I do wonder if they're going to try to be big time players in free agency and try to get one of the better bats out there. Yeah. Did you see the, uh, did you see the pivot from the from the uh, Marine layer pod guys when, when Shohei was scratched instead of come to Seattle for the chant when Shohei was up, it's we want Shohei when Mike Moustakis was hitting. Loved it. That was an unfortunate pivot, but I'm I'm glad they still they still did something. Uh, yeah. I know uh-huh. the Marine Layer guys are trying to trying to uh, recruit Shohei already. I love it. 
and they're they're doing it on Tuesday and doing it on Wednesday too. Yeah, man. But I I think Cal Raleigh, if you were to, and we're going to do it in the off season, you know, if you're looking at the top ten catchers in the game, he's firmly within the top ten at this point because of what he oh, offers. Yeah. And by war, do you have it in front of you? Like, where does that four point two or four point three, pardon, stack up among catchers? So he's four point. Or sorry, I don't know why it just gave me this. This uh, it gave me like a weird span of time here. But I, I'm I'm gonna guess it it is among the best in baseball. I who's gonna be ahead of him? Sean Murphy. You're gonna have uh, J T. Romito this year. Not so much Adley, probably ahead of him, but. Uh, I, I'm, it's not working for me on the computer right now. I don't know if you have it in front of you, but I, I would guess that it's top three or four. I've got it. Um, Adley Rutschman somehow by war is a 3.8 war. Will wow. Smith, 3.8. Um, Cal Raleigh, 4.3 is second among all qualified catchers. Only behind William Contreras of the Milwaukee Brewers, who's a 4.4 war guy. Well, that kind of will segue us. I don't know if, if Stearns gets credit for that move, right? Was usually technically like an advisor there. I don't know if he was involved when they made that move, but that's looking like an unbelievable trade. I, all we were hearing about was how Contreras is is all bat, no glove, and that's kind of how it looked. And all of a sudden now he's grading out as a good defender. Yeah. Which like, is which is really wild. A really good defender. By by defensive value, um, on fan graphs, Cal Raleigh is the best qualified defender in baseball. Somehow Adley is like not at the level of Cal Raleigh and William Contreras, but William Contreras is two in that measurement. Um, and then by WRC plus, you've got Wilson Contreras at one with a 125, but he's got a 2.2 war. Then you got William Contreras at 121, Will Smith at 121, Adley at 121, and Raleigh right behind at 119. Only other guy over 100 is JT Realmuto at 103. So this guy is a top five offensive catcher among qualified catchers in baseball. No, Jonah Heim is not qualified. And by war, he's the second most valuable catcher in Major League Baseball this year. But yeah, I, I think it's Matt Arnold's move that brought William Contreras yeah. to Milwaukee. But I will tell you, Matt Arnold is a disciple of the new president of baseball operations yeah. in Queens. David Stearns just took the president of baseball ops job in New York. Before we get into what that means for Billy Epler, um, I thought <laughs> Jeff Passan made a great point. Passan, and I'm paraphrasing here, said, you know, Stearns, who is the architect of several division winning Brewers teams, um, goes from, you know, financial constraints to a seemingly like limitless pool of money from Steve Cohen. And Passan said that this is probably the biggest front office move since Andrew Friedman left Tampa to go lead the Dodgers in 2014. And I may agree. I'm not sure. The way we kind of look at Friedman, the way that we've talked about Friedman, I know, is financially, he went from swimming in a kiddie pool to the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. And that's what David Stearns is doing right now. He went from swimming in a kiddie pool and being successful and extending Freddie Peralta on the craziest, most team-friendly deal you've ever seen. Yeah. And I, I don't know how much he had to do with this. He's still an advisor, but like winning an arbitration case against Corbin Burns? Are you kidding me? Um, to having Steve Cohen as your owner who is willing to pay more in luxury tax penalties than he is actually in payroll and who can buy an $140 million statue that's six feet tall. Um, man, I like... He grew up a Mets fan. He's young. He knows what he's doing. 
this guy's kind of on the Theo Epstein, Andrew Friedman track right now. And, and the Mets got the right guy. Yeah. I mean, it, it couldn't, it's been one of those things that we've been just hearing about and hearing about. And it was seemed like almost just more of a formality thing uh, before it would really end up being locked in. It just seemed like it was weird how like public and open this whole process was in terms of just everybody knew that they were going to find a way to make it happen. And I wonder how much you got a five-year deal, right? Like I wonder how much money Stearns is getting. Like, it's got to be a nice, nice payday, but I think you hit the nail on the head. This isn't a guy that strikes me, and I don't know him personally, obviously, but doesn't strike me as somebody that's just going to abandon what got him here now that now that the checkbook's open, right? It's going to be, hey, what are some of the things that I really wanted in Milwaukee that we couldn't do, whether it's infrastructure in terms of the farm system and development, because yeah, the Brewers have done great in the draft as well, and they've, they've done just fine in development over the last few years. And you look at a lot of the pieces that they have at the big league level right now that are contributing – those are recent Brewers draft picks, whether you look at Sal Freelick or Joey Weimer, and, and we can go on it and some of the trades that they made to, to go get a Willie Adamas. And there, there's been a lot of nice moves that, that, that they've made there. And I imagine now the thing that separates the Dodgers is the amount of money and resources that they invest into their their prospects and, and they invest into the minor leagues and they want those prospects to feel like big leaguers. That's why you look at the affiliates of Dodgers. They have that L.A. logo on, you know, patched onto their jersey so that they can feel like part of the Dodgers. I, I think that that's going to be something that we see with Stearns here with, with the Mets, which is I think you know, Stearns obviously has his own philosophy, but I do think that there's going to be some similarities here to the Dodgers where it's going to be inspired by somebody who worked within the margins uh you know previously but also now has this endless capital to be able to build an infrastructure that just churns out talent we'll see because everyone's always going to say it's the Mets and they're going to met and and I get that but it's a different owner that tried it with Billy I don't know why Billy Epler was was the guy like we we Look at the history of Billy Epler. There's a million reasons to believe that it wasn't going to work with him. To me, this is this is the last, uh, I think, the last time that we're going to say a new era for the Mets because it feels like we're saying that every year. But I do feel, I do feel like this is going to be a really, really good hire. I don't think that's you know mind blowing. I think everybody agrees with that. And and this is probably going to be the thing that finally turns the tides in Queens. I really do believe that. Yeah, so a couple of uh, moves that I want to highlight from Stearns in his Brewers tenure. Uh, number one is obviously Christian Yelich. Um, uh-huh. Yelich might be the, I, aside from that Glasnow, Boz, Meadows deal for Chris Archer, like this might be the craziest. And Tatis. Yeah, but Tatis uh, let, yeah let me tell you the let me tell you the prospect return real quick. It was yeah. Lewis Brinson, Monte Harrison, Jordan Yamamoto, Isan Diaz, and that's it. That's it. Yeah, great package. Um, Monte Harrison is back with the Brewers in AAA. Lewis Brinson's in Japan. Isan Diaz is on like in his fourth org sense and was with the Giants. I don't even know who he's with now in, in AAA. And Jordan, Jordan Yamamoto retired. So, uh, yeah, that was a great trade by Stearns. Yeah, so he nailed that one. By the way, Christian Yelich had an MVP. Looked like he was going to win two straight before it was a fractured kneecap. Kneecap, yeah, fractured, fractured kneecap. kneecap in 2019. The other one, December of 2015, they go and grab a 19-year-old right-hander named Freddie Peralta in a deal. The return to Seattle was Adam Lind for Freddie oh, Peralta, Carlos Herrera, and Daniel Masaki. Doesn't matter that you don't know who the other two are. Freddie Peralta 
made 1.2 million in 2021. He signed an extension after 20. He's he made 1.2 in 21. He made 2.5 in 2022. This year he's making 3.7. Next year he makes 5.7. Then a club option for eight in 2025 and a club option for eight in 2026. He hits free agency at 31 years old. Yeah. That like Acuna, best deal in baseball. Albies, yeah. second best deal in baseball. This Freddie Peralta deal might be the third best deal in baseball. It's it's up there. It's definitely up there. Um, and and that was the thing is it's Braves esque, right? Where you identify the talent, you you know acquire him as a minor leaguer, so it's a little different there. But then see that guy. Don't get deterred too much by the injury issues and some of the inconsistency, and and extend him. And, and I think use that almost in your favor to be able to kind of knock the price down a little bit. That was really impressive. And then I know you're going to get to the Willie Adamas trade. And I know Adamas has struggled this year. And it's funny, like it feels like Adamas has been bad. And if you look at the slash line, like 215, 299, 413, yeah, it's not great. But he's got 24 home runs. He's defending. He's a two and a half win player. <laughs> That's still pretty, pretty good. Um, but they've got a ton of production from him since he's come over from Tampa. So it was Adamas and Trevor Richards. And Adamas was like, so he was a Tigers prospect traded to Tampa and that guy could not hit at the drop. He frankly, not only change of scenery, he needed a change of home ballpark. And that's what unlocked him. And he's a 30 homer threat while playing a decent shortstop every single year. It was JP Fire Eisen, who is now a Dodger and Drew and, Rasmussen. Yeah. Rasmussen, yes, he's been great for Tampa. But he's also been unavailable this year, and he had his third UCL reconstruction. So um, I don't know if you want to call him damaged goods because he's got an ERA in the mid twos with Tampa. But this is a great deal for Stearns, man. Yeah. Um, he did well. The The other thing is like his job that he's done in international free agency and at the top of drafts has been really impressive. And they found Weimer as a diamond in the rust. A diamond in the rough. They found Garrett Mitchell in the first round. They got Sal Freelick in the first round. How about Jefferson Carroll signed an IFA? How about Jackson Chorio signed an IFA? I mean, he has kind of been the lead man for this young nucleus of Brewers, and he built this team that's going to win the NL Central again this year. It wasn't really Matt Arnold. Like, who did he bring in this year? No one really. Yeah, no, it's a good point. I mean, you, you look at the squad from from top to bottom, and even like the William Contreras, you could say like that was the move, that was the big one that he brought in. But a uh, couple of the pieces, or at least one of the pieces that contributed to being able to get Contreras was, you know, from a trade that actually people highlighted as maybe one of Stern's lowlights was that Josh Hader deal, yeah. which, yeah, it wasn't great, but they end up still getting a couple of decent pieces. Robert Gasser looks like he's going to be a piece for them in the rotation potentially as soon as next year. And then they flip a story Ruiz and part of that deal to, to get William Contreras. So it, it all kind of worked out there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, how about, how about IDing a, a Corbin Burns and like, how Ooh. about, how about just being able to find somebody like that? And um, how about a Devin Williams? Yeah. Another one. hater I mean, who is a failed starter in the Orioles. Yep. System. Yep. I mean, Devin Williams, a failed starter. Yep. It's another guy. So, I mean, it's, it's been really amazing uh, to, to see what they've been able to do and, and, and the guys that they've been able to ID and uh, the Brewers work on, I think the Brewers get more credit than they deserve in terms of ownership, in terms of investment, like it, that stadium is falling apart. Yeah. Um, the, the team is never really spending much. They locked up Yelich on a very friendly contract that now doesn't, didn't look as friendly because he fell off a cliff. But at the time, I mean, 
it was it was an incredibly team friendly contract, and now it looks good again. And that's with the fluidity of these long term deals, which is so funny. Um, but you look at what they've done. I mean, it, it's really hard to to argue against it. And, and and you left out. How about? I mean, he's got a lot to still figure out. But Jacob Mizrowski in the second round out of a JUCO is becoming one of the most exciting young pitching prospects in baseball. So they've done a great job of IDing in the draft. Now they have they're going to have more capital and they're going to have a lot more resources here. So I'm interested to see how that helps in the development aspect of things. You also didn't even mention like, we'll we'll, we'll be nerding out all day, but Luis Lara is another prospect that I love. That's a top 75 guy for top 70 guy for us on the top 100 list that they picked up for, for cheap and international free agency. So I think they're going to cook. I think David Stearns is going to cook in New York with, with the resources that he has. The last question here is, and oh, by the way, I saw what Christian Yelich is day-to-day with lower back soreness. Oh God. Like this just sucks, man. Come on. I hope that doesn't linger into some of the stuff that we saw before. I hope this guy's lower back just like didn't exist. (laughs) Like if he just cut (laughs) off, I still think no torso. Yeah. No torso. He already is like almost all legs. It's kind of crazy. Just make him like a lank machine, make him Mike Wazowski and and we'll get (laughs) all systems going. Um, Last question regarding the Stearns hire in New York. What's next for Billy Epler? Do you think he's still like the GM of the New York Mets and Stearns is like, I'm better than you, but I'll still run things by you. I I wonder because I feel like it's just one of those situations where, you know, where it's like an NFL player that they basically give you the option like, hey, we're going to either cut you or you can restructure your contract. Yeah. I feel like it's going to be one of those situations, maybe not financially, uh, but more so in terms of like role. Hey, you're not going to call all the shots here. You can still be the general manager and we'll, you know, you can be in uh, play a key part in, in this whole operation here, but you're not the shot caller anymore because I just feel like if, if, if Epworth gets fired here and he might, I don't, I don't know what the plan is. Who's hiring this guy, man. He was, he had so much money at his disposal in LA or Anaheim, I should say. And, and was terrible. They are fumbled the bag atrociously out there. And I think was the precursor to what's just been, you know, a, a, a prolonged issue. We could have blamed ownership there because I think that our Artie Moreno is the, the big issue there, but then you see him go to the Mets and he has all of these resources. And it was kind of the same thing. It's just, let's throw money at big names. It just seems to be the Billy upper way. You give him a bag and he's just going to throw it at big names and play it what he thinks is safe, but ends up not being safe at all. Uh, it, it was very similar to, I think, a lot of the moves that we saw him make in, in, in Anaheim. So I, I really feel like if he gets fired, who's hiring that guy? I think he's pretty brutal. I don't, I haven't seen many good things that he's done. I think there's been a lot of mistakes across the way. And um, I think he, unless his pride is too, you know, too prominent here, I, think he's got to probably swallow it and accept a, a lesser role. And I, and I wonder if that'll be the case, because I will say, I do like the moves that they've made, like the, going into this rebuild side of things. Yeah. I love what they've been able to do. I mean, Drew Gilbert's been amazing. Luis Angel Acuna is starting to really look solid. I, I like the prospects that they've been able to acquire. I think they've done well in the recent drafts. So I do wonder if they want to kind of keep that rolling and maybe have him be more of a, a farm system you know, oversight guy. I, I don't know. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, you know, I was looking for precedent to this kind of thing, and I immediately went to the Ben Charrington, Dave Dombrowski thing in Boston. You remember when the Red Sox hired Dombrowski and Charrington immediately resigned? I remember it was like, oh, I was taken aback that they hired him. And I think Boston might have expected those two to work in lockstep. 
Because if they didn't, wouldn't they have just let Charrington go and then immediately bring on Dombrowski? Like, why would you have two guys even occupying that space for 10 seconds? So I, I think they were probably expecting them to work together. And Charrington was like, no, I didn't sign up for that. He left. He was the VP of baseball ops in Toronto under Anthopolis, I want to say at that time. Or was it Ross Atkins already? I think it was Anthopolis. I'm not sure. It, there's just a turnstile. But I do think Billy Epler if he's willing to swallow his pride and work as a VP, I think that tandem could be really good. Um, James Click being Atkins is number two in Toronto, I think is a really good thing right now. But that's obviously Click getting fired and or mutual decision to part ways. And then, you know, him going elsewhere. Um, is Click deserving of a lead job? Yes. More so than Chris gets? Yes. Uh, but I, I think that Stearns being a lead guy again was really important. And I'm glad that he gets to do it in New York. Uh, Jed Hoyer is one of the best Jed and Carter Hawkins. Great tandem. They see a guy in Pete Crow Armstrong who they acquired from the Mets at the 2021 deadline debut in Colorado as a pinch runner and a center fielder. David Ross said after the game, something along the lines of, you know, we're not going to like, again, kind of same thing as Canario. Like we're not going to relinquish ABs from the guys that got us here, but he is starting on Tuesday night. I don't know if PCA is going to play every day. No. But if I don't he does, that. it's going to be electrifying. And even if he doesn't, I think it can still be electrifying. Yeah, I, I just hope he plays a couple times a week. I think then you can justify it. If he's not playing a couple, if, he, if he's getting the Canario treatment, that would be frustrating. Also, one last thing to tie a bow on on yeah. uh, Epler. He, he kind of oversaw really like a, a brand new scouting department for the Yankees. And, and I think that that might be the role for him again, kind of farm director overseeing, you know, the, the, the farm system development and doing things like that. And that's where he ultimately was the AGM too. So I, I think that could be the role for him. Like he might be more of a Robin than a Batman and that's okay. Um, but Robin still get paid really well. Oh yeah. I'd happily be a Robin. I dream of being a Robin one day. Um, but the, the, the thing with, with PCA is, you know, th- there's a lot of, we we're talking about it on the call up. There's some underlying metric like red flags when you look at contact rate, when you look at some other things uh, that I think very analytically driven teams might be a little bit and the, the Cubs are could be a little bit put off from you know, putting him in this position. But I think the way they looked at it, they're like, hey, this guy instantly. And it was similar to what we talked about with Jordan Lawler. We're, we're not getting much in center field out of, from Talkman right now, who Talkman was hitting around 150 over the last 20 games, and he's really been struggling. PCA is immediately one of the best center fielders in baseball, like point blank period. He's incredible. And you'll see that very quickly. He can cover ground with the best of them. He takes some of the most efficient routes and he has a cannon for an arm. It's I saw like, you. I thought, I thought, I thought you were going to talk. So I was, I was going like, to give you the floor. Yeah, no, I was just going to say like, I was going to interject quickly and it's so low effort. Like he oh. gets to everything, but it looks effortless he glides in the outfield I, which is i have a thread on twitter um and and not not trying to like i'm telling you it's worth it's worth checking out because of pca if you just search like at arm latent eight and then pete crow armstrong uh with the hyphen you'll probably find that the thread it's it, it's it's really fun i promise i sorted by lowest probability catches in the minor leagues and pulled some of the most insane so like right there i mean th- those are make or break plays in a, in a playoff race you make a grab that that can save a game i mean the cubs just saw we're on the other side of it where lourdes guriel played a ball perfectly off the wall late in the game and fired a strike to get jan gomes at second and, and that pretty much 
helped them win the ball game. Like at this point of the season, that can be a difference maker. So I understand them bringing up PCA from, from that perspective alone. Also the pinch running aspect of things like he, he runs, he can fly and he's gotten better and better as a base dealer. So I do have some concerns about him being able to hit immediately. The thing that I do like is he can run into baseballs and he has really progressed as a power hitter. His fly ball rate is as high as anybody's. And I think that's a good thing, especially in Chicago. Like he's going to get the ball up in the air. And if he's going to be an inconsistent hitter contact rate wise, which at this point he is, remember, he's a top 15 prospect for a top 10 prospect for us for good reason. I think the hit tool is going to continue to come along, but he could have probably used a little bit more seasoning before he's quote unquote big league ready. But his tools are so loud and he is so good defensively and he's so fast and he has the ability to run into baseballs that I agree that he can help the Cubs win games right now. It might be a a small contribution. It might not be the same contribution that you're getting from, you know, an everyday player. It might not even be the same level of contribution you're getting from Christopher Morrell. But I do think that he makes the Cubs better in a fourth outfielder role. And that might sound weird for a top 10 prospect in baseball, but it's all hands on deck. And and we're seeing the game trend this way with Evan Carter, Jordan Lawler, and now PCA. All of those guys are not expected to be what they're going to be you know, at their prime yeah. or anything close to it right now. But even a fraction of that helps these teams with their current state. For the sake of, I, I don't know, it wasn't even for the sake of urgency. For the sake of, I don't know, stereotypical prospect thinking, I think we said Canario is the better option for the Cubs because he's better suited for a fourth outfielder role and you'd prefer PCA to be an everyday guy. Obviously, Pete Crow Armstrong is going to be the better fourth outfielder than Alexander Canario. Obviously. Oh, because you're asking for speed and defense. And not only is PCA faster, but he's the best defender in the minor leagues, maybe regardless of position. Um, now, Canario, like we were thinking, hey, you know, Canario to the future of the Cubs is big, but it's not as big as Pete Crow Armstrong. So no. go ahead and start his clock and have PCA's clock delayed. And, and also let, let PCA get at bats. Right? Exactly. Again, this is a guy that's still working through some whiff issues. His chase rates are extremely high. Like there's some red flags there. If you do like, if you do some sorting by guys with, with his offensive profile, there's not many with a con zone contact below 75% chase rate above 30% that are succeeding in the big leagues. Again, that doesn't mean that PCA is not going to succeed. It means that he needs to make some strides to have consistent success at the big league level. That's why I'm like, okay, if you're bringing him up to play once a week at best, don't do that. You're, you're just wasting time, burning clock, and also not really giving him the opportunity to develop. So Canario is better in that pinch hitting see you once yeah, a week to do oh. it. Like one plate appearance in 10 days. And no, that's a joke. Happen? That's a joke. That's a joke. And I think it was through though that span though, Talkman continued to struggle, 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 struggle. PCA more urgent, more urgent, more urgent. And then PCA has four hits and a grand slam. And they're like, all right, man, like let's let's just bring this guy up, see if he can ride a hot streak. And, you know, Talkman's not holding up his end of the bargain here. Canario's not playing center field. You'd have to move Bellinger to center. And then now who's playing for like there, there was a lot of moving parts. It made way more sense to fill that spot with yeah. PCA, given the struggles of Talkman. So I'm interested to see how he plays. But again, even if he doesn't hit, they're going to get some value from him. And um, he's an awesome dude. We had him on the call up. If you want to yeah. hear from him, go check out that interview. We had it was a few months back. Super cool guy. Really funny dude that I think Cubs fans are going to love. He wears his heart on his sleeve, and he is a energetic player. And on Monday's call-up, we kind of dove deeper into the chase concerns and the in-zone whiff concerns. 
and we kind of found guys that fell in similar spots on the scatter plot. Um, and like to douse the fire just a little bit, there are going to be some frustrating plate appearances from PCA oh, in the yeah. next month when he does get those plate appearances and he's going to get those plate appearances in maybe some high leverage moments. And he might piss some Cubs fans off because of being 21 years old and having a somewhat iffy approach. Yeah. It's going to be, why'd you swing at that? But then there's also going to be a time where he golfs one out of there to right field in a big spot because he's, his heartbeat just doesn't seem to to flutter at all. Yeah. And yeah. you're going to be like, I love this kid. And that's what, that's the thing though. He plays as hard as anybody I've watched closely in the minor leagues. And uh, this is a dude that if they kept him in the minor leagues, he's going to keep playing hard there. No matter where you put it, if you send him back to AAA, we talk about it, how guys kind of sometimes will come back to AAA with their tail between their legs. And I, that's a guy that I, I think, you know, he might be upset on inside, but he's going to play his ass off every single game. You can say tail between your legs. You could also say not give a shit. Like yeah. tail between your legs is almost playing like frightened, like, hey, I'm I'm worried to make a mistake. There are some guys that come down and like don't give a shit in the minor yeah, leagues, and that's not PCA. There are points, honestly, where PCA tries too hard. Yeah, you're and almost like I, chill out. Don't don't hurt yourself out there. Like he's yeah. he's putting his body on the line, and I'm imagining at the big leagues, like he's gonna sell out for some plays, and for better yeah. or for worse, too. That, that there could be some frustration there too. Like there's, it's kind of a his chase rates are kind of like a microcosm for his whole game. You got to take the good with the bad. Like he's gonna sell out for a ball, and you know if he doesn't catch it, might get by him. Like he's you're gonna you're gonna ride the waves. And the other side of it though is. I think it's really good that he's going to get this opportunity to learn in a really high leverage situation, because then when you get back to next year where you're hoping he's going to be your everyday center fielder, I think the game's going to be a lot slower in April of 2024. I don't know. If I could tell him one thing, it's that the walls are not padded under the Ivy. Mm -hmm. There's no padding there, Pete. I need you to understand that. Yeah, please, please don't dive head first into it. Like, I, I'm sure they're telling that they're telling him that right now. Again, like if you look at the thread and see some of the catches he's made, like <laughs> some of them, you could tell he felt it. He felt yeah. it. Yeah. It's like, dude, you can't do that with a brick wall, a literal yeah. brick wall. And that's what's behind that Ivy. Um, we are going to wrap with a minor league update and, and kind of notable promotions and all, all that jazz. But a couple notes on the Braves who are still the best team in baseball. One good note, one not so good note. Let's get the bad news out of the way. Kyle Wright came back. That's good news that Kyle Wright is back. Yeah. Um, the bad news is that Kyle Wright, in return from injury, which has held him out the entire year, he labored through a couple innings in Philly on Monday night, and he really did not look good. And if you want to go back, if you're a dork like me, and you want to rewatch that Kyle Wright start, Turn on the Braves telecast, Bally Sports South. John Smoltz was the analyst with Brandon Godden. And Smoltz walking through why Kyle Wright was struggling was very, very indicative of like what could be to come for Wright. And that was yanking a lot of sliders. You have everything starting to flatten out. And it's because he was flying open way too soon. He dove into the mechanics of it. Kyle Wright, unfortunately, looked like a guy that has not been healthy all year, which is true, but also looked like a guy that, you know, is still trying to get his feet under him pitching in a major league baseball game and running that guy out to start games as you get closer to playoff time. And if they do run him out to start a game in the NLDS, it's a little nerve wracking. Yeah, it, it is. And you know, what's interesting is it was a shoulder issue. And I think the shoulder stuff is like, it's weirder. It's harder to find the release point again. Um, and 
even on like a very basic level, when, when I got my shoulder like taken care of trying to even just play catch was so weird after being shut down for months and like trying to find that release point again, because your shoulder feels different. And I can't imagine as a major league pitcher, what that would feel like as you're trying to throw again uh, and trying to get totally back into the swing of things. And yeah, he threw some rehab starts, but it's a different beast. I think the other thing that was kind of indicative of, you know, maybe either lack of confidence in cutting loose or just lack of confidence in, in his fastball overall is if I'm not mistaken, he, he threw 24 curveballs in that start as opposed to 17 sinkers, eight sliders, seven four seamers and six changeups. Like, yeah, if you combine the four seamer and the sinker, you have an, an even 24 with the curveball. But that's pretty surprising Like to see him throwing the curveball as much as the fastball. I don't think he got a single whiff. Uh, so, you know, or at least a whiff in the zone. So it, it's one of those things where it's it's a little concerning. I want to give him like a one-start buffer because he did look really good in Worcester where he, you know, I know that's a triple-A rehab, but he punched out like seven and three innings or three and two-thirds, whatever it was. And it is weird kind of coming back from his shoulder. But you got to have a relatively short leash here in terms of you, what, get two more shots to see Kyle Wright before the season's over. I think you have to put him out there to see what you've got. And if it doesn't look much better, the Braves have to figure something out in terms of what their playoff rotation is going to look like and, you know, whether Kyle Wright's even on that roster. Because, you know, if Kyle Wright's not starting for you, I don't know if that's a guy you even really want to use an active roster spot in the playoffs with because you'd rather have a reliever. Uh, you'd rather have someone that, that can kind of come in and, and get outs. And, you know, you could run with a three-man rotation of of Max Fried, Strider, Morton, and then even Elder if you want to have another starter there. I, I think, surprisingly, Kyle Wright could end up being the odd man out if it doesn't get better. Uh, but again, I don't want to overreact to one start. But to your point, as you could see from what you saw and also Smoltz, it wasn't great mechanically. And that sometimes takes a little while to get back. Yes. It, it takes a long while to get back. And it might be something that like he needs an off season to get back. It's really hard to come back with this short amount of time. And I, we haven't spoken to Walker Bueller yet. We'll talk to him on Monday, but that could have been a concern that he had. It's like, Hey, you know, I, I just don't feel perfect mechanically. And I feel like I may do the Dodgers in. And he's been very open about talking about that with us. Like he said, yeah. I don't want to come back just because I can. I want to come back and be a benefit. So maybe yeah. there was an inkling in his mind where he said, I might not be the best option right now. Kyle Hurt might be a better option than me. I disagree with that. Like I think yeah. a lot of people would disagree with that. But Kyle Wright, man, like Elder, I know Elder has taken a step back after the All-Star break he may be a better option than Kyle Wright. This is not your 21-game winner right now. Next year, can he return to that form? Absolutely. But would you rather have three innings of Kyle Wright at 93 with subdued breaking stuff? Or would you rather have another guy throwing 99 out of your bullpen? I think I'm probably taking the latter. The whiff point, 33 swings yesterday, three whiffs, two of which came on the four-seam fastball. Yeah. One came on the breaking stuff. Yeah. And, and, you know, yeah, that's not going to play. And, you know, Walker was talking about how when he, his his pitches were kind of too big, like the breaking ball was too big. And you, you'll see maybe the break numbers look okay, but if it's starting too early and you're not getting over it and it's a slower curveball, it's just not going to play the same way. And I think that's kind of what was happening with Wright. My concern and what, what I think probably played a part in the Walker situation too is you know, when Walker came on 
and was talking about his, you know, how he felt after that first rehab start. He's like, it felt good, but I'm sore, you know, and, and I'm imagining you're putting a guy now that is just getting his feet back under him. And this applies to both Walker and Kyle Wright. And now not only high leverage, adrenaline driven situations, your body's going to push itself outside its comfort zone. So now you're coming off of an injury and the adrenaline's kicking in and now you're pushing your body again. So you got to look at a 27 year old, going to be 28 year old Kyle Wright and say, also in the long term, if he's not looking like himself, do I want to push him to this degree? And I think it's the same thing with Walker Bueller. Guys, as fiery of a competitor as you're going to find, you know his butt he's not holding himself back at all in the playoffs. And that probably was a part of the decision, too. Like the Dodgers know that the second you put Walker Bueller on the fucking mound, he's going to throw all out and he's going to do everything to get that to get get his team to win. Yeah. And yeah. that's scary. It's awesome, but it's scary. So I can make the football count, but I'm go. I'm gonna actually go a more fucked up route. You and I have both been in car accidents in the last year, and with the adrenaline pumping after a car accident, you feel like the best your body has felt in a while. Like I got, I got t-boned, and I get out of the car. Thankfully, I was okay. Like I did have whiplash. Like I felt it the next day, but. In that moment, the adrenaline spike, I got out of the car and I was like, I'm loose. Like, I feel really oh, good right yeah, now. Yeah, you feel like you can like run over the car and like and run. Yeah, you're buzzing. Like you're adrenaline buzzing. is, it, it, you ever, did you watch uh, uh, The Boys? Uh, no, that's that hero show on Prime. Yeah, yeah, it's like Compound V. It's like the thing that they like inject themselves with and it just it gets them their like superhero powers on a different level. Like adrenaline, people really underestimate like. It, it is it is crazy. So when you're on the you know on the big stage, it, you're trying to manage that adrenaline, and you're already kind of with wacky mechanics in a Kyle Wright. I think we're going to ultimately see them go another route and again, unless he really turns the tides in the next couple starts. But it's interesting because now we we talk about the Braves; they have nothing to worry about the rest of this regular season. So you might as well wheel Kyle Wright out there a couple more times, see what you got. But let's assume Kyle Wright can't throw; like they just don't want to use him. Yeah, you really only need three guys in a playoff rotation, and then a fourth guy to to, to spot in there, uh, yeah. depending on the situation. It, it's a good playoff rotation. Like, don't get me wrong, Max Fried, Spencer Strider, and then Charlie Morton, who's yeah, you know, just just Mister Consistency on that. Big Charlie stage. Morton has a mid three ZRA. Like you forget that he always has a three four, but he's got awesome. a three four. Pretty good. It's pretty damn good. He's throwing 97. He's 55 years old. <laughs> he's spinning the shit out of this curveball. And he's, ball, you man. know that that's a guy whose heart rate does not change, no. um, you know, on the big stage. And so I'm looking at that. I'm like, okay, that's a really fun rotation. But I have one question for you. I'm honestly not that worried about Morton. I think he's going to be fine. But fine, he's going to be a fine postseason three. And that's that's good. That's all you can ask for. I think the big X factor here is Spencer Strider. Because you know Freed's going to be that dude. I'm not worried about Freed. Yeah. So Strider, when he's on, will could pitch a no hitter in the World Series. When he's off, he could get teed off and give up six earned runs within two innings. And I think that's like this Braves team. I I just went on like ESPN Las Vegas the radio, and they're like, "How can this Braves team lose?" And you look at the way it's constructed. It's like it's really hard. Baseball's baseball, though. Anybody can lose in any given series, especially in the playoffs. I was floored when the Phillies beat the Braves last year. But I think the most obvious vulnerability is also one of their most obvious strengths, which is so wild. Like Spencer Strider could be the guy that wins them the World Series, but he could also be the guy that gets them bounced. Because uh, picture this, you lose, you win game one with Max Fried. Strider gets the ball game two, and 
gets blown up, let's say, and, and has another one of those tough outings. Now, Morton versus whoever they're facing game three, you might not have the pitching advantage in game three. It might be a wash. And all of a sudden, that's a tide turning game where it's it's an even playing field. And you got to lean on the offense, which is insane. We'll talk about it in a second. But that vast advantage that they have can quickly go away if Strider looks like the guy that gets blown up and not the guy that strikes out 15 and doesn't give up any runs. Strider has one postseason start under his belt. It came in last year's NLDS against the Phillies. Do you know how that went? Well, he was coming off of injury. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. Um, but it didn't go great, right? Two and a third, three hits, five earned. He walked two. He struck out four. Yeah. He was coming off of that oblique. Out of the third. Yeah, an oblique thing. But like, I don't know. That doesn't feel good. And the thing is, like, there are five or six starts this year that kind of look like that and have yeah. honestly looked worse than that. It's a t- it's a quicker leash. It's a shorter leash in the postseason. But man, like if he gets off to a rough start through two and a third, and they pull the plug on it, is Elder a long man? Like I yeah. don't know. Yeah, yes, but like I don't know if he's a good one. No, I mean it's probably it's you're in trouble at that point, you yeah. know, and then that's. That's the one vulnerability. And, and it, that also speaks to how good the Braves are, that their vulnerability is a guy that, you know, you take out, out 15 one, per nine or 14. Yeah, you per take nine. you take one or two blow up starts away and he's probably right in this 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 Cy Young conversation. Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing. So, like, I think he can be what wins in the World Series. And I think he's the X factor that could end up costing them. So it's going to be really interesting to see how, how that all unfolds. But uh, the offense can always bail them out, though. And that's that's the beautiful thing about this ball club. Yes, and Matt Olson is the first to 50 with a multi-homer game two in the doubleheader in Philly on Monday. Olson to 50. This guy is still the most slept-on power bat in baseball because he strikes out a lot, but he walks a lot. He plays great defense at first base, and this dude is the most prolific power bat in baseball at this point. He's got 50 nukes. He's got what, 120 driven in right now. I This guy, man, you put him in the middle of this order – I remember saying it, and and I know Freddie Freeman's going to have 60 doubles. I know Freddie Freeman might get more MVP votes than Matt Olson, but for the length of the deal, for the price, and for the age, Olson is five years younger, four years younger than Freddie Freeman. Olson um, might have been the 40. better option for the Atlanta Braves. I think Olson's 29 and Freeman is 30. About to be 34. I think he's about to be 34, right? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's 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 if you are going to let a Hall of Famer go and Freddie Freeman, this is the best possible scenario where you can get a guy who is really hitting his peak now at 29 uh, at, on a really affordable deal. What stands out to me is how he just keeps getting better. And you, you see what he's done against non-fastballs this year. Right? This guy's always pulverized heaters, and he did that last year. But this year, against breaking balls, slugging 6'11". Last year against breaking balls, he was slugging 398. This year against off-speed, which is change-ups, you know, splitters, whatever it may be, slugging 659. Last year was slugging 582, which was also still good. It, it, the, the real standout is how he's hitting breaking balls. And and that's what's been so amazing. And it's been so good that you have some conspiracy theorists on Twitter saying that the Braves are cheating, whatever it is. That's how good Matt Olson has been and, and, and several of his teammates. 25 home runs against fastballs, 17 home runs against breaking balls, eight home runs against changeups. Like th- that's just insane stuff. And what stands out the most to me is this guy just gets his swing off, man. Like he's got it down and he gets his A swing off as frequently as possible. And that's how you hit 50 home runs. And he's going to hit more than that. And 
you know, it, it's it's amazing. Like you look at how many guys have hit 55 home runs in the last 20, 30 years. It's a short list and it's a list of juicers and hall of famers and guys who could kind of be both. And that's what makes it so amazing. Uh, it's been a real, almost one of the more quiet 50 home run campaigns. I feel like in, I in think a while. So. I think so. Um, you know, there are guys in the NBA that put up quiet 30 point games. Um, I think this is, you know, one of those seasons where like, he slowly but surely made his way to 50. And Otani, it's a loud 50. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, what, 44 right now? It's been a really loud 44. Uh, Judge, it was a loud 62 last year. But even if Judge fell shy of Maris by 10, yeah. it was going to be a loud 52. Um, I think Pete Alonso does it in a loud way, too. And some of it could be market. Um, some of it could be, sure. you know, these guys are the true star on their team. People are more interested in Acuna when they're watching the Braves. And it just happens that Matt Olson has 50 homers. Um, I don't know, man. Like, there's just something about him that that still somehow screams underrated to me when he's gotten 1,000 OPS and he's got 50 pumps. Over the course of his career, he's 29 years old. He has played parts of eight big league seasons. This guy is averaging 42 homers and 111 ribbies on a per 162 basis. Is he... Can you stretch it to say that he may be on a nascent Hall of Fame track? And that's an interesting question because he did get a slightly later-ish start, I guess, to the monster power numbers than some. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, like he still was putting up decent home run numbers and at 23 years old. So what he's got 226 homers right now. Not decent, but- dude. This guy had a 1003 OPS when he was yeah through that 59 yeah that was crazy 59 games he had home runs in 59 holy shit I didn't even know he I don't remember that he did that this cat finished fourth in rookie of the year voting in 59 games 24 homers in 59 games is asinine in in Oakland that is crazy so yeah he gets that hot start but then 29 homers in 162 games that next year it was fine but not great and then you know starts to build up from there I mean he's gonna finish his age 29 season with 230 home runs, let's say. I It's possible. This is a guy that I think could age really well too, but he's going to have to have like four more monster, like 40 plus home run seasons, which why can't the he? Tank. He hit yeah, 39 in Oakland in 2020. Yeah, yeah why can't he? Uh, th- this is And then the defense helps. I mean, multiple gold gloves. He's going to accumulate tons of war. He's already a 28 war guy. Um, if you look at you know baseball reference war, I don't know if fan graphs will probably be even more friendly to him in that regard. I mean, I, I don't think it's crazy. I don't think it's crazy at all. Um, it's it's really fun. It's really I it's one of those guys that I just think is easy to root for, just through the way he way he plays the game, kind of how underrated he is. And and the A's, you look at what the Braves have right now in Matt Olson and Sean Murphy, it's and both locked up, you know, under control for cheap. It's insane that the Braves were able to do that. And I was saying like like John Fisher, the Oakland A's owner, that guy legitimately should get a ring from the Braves if they win it this year. But again, as I mentioned on Twitter, he would probably pawn that ring. But like those, are, I know the Braves would be good regardless, but it is absolutely absurd that they were able to get both Matt Olson and Sean Murphy. And you look at some of the pieces that they gave up, they're not losing sleep about really any of them. So you and I went to uh, Atlanta last year and we were at Braves Phillies on a replica ring giveaway. Yeah. And uh, I still have it here. I think John Fisher should get one of these where it's he plastic definitely should get diamonds. He'd yeah. still sell that. 
how much do you think I could get for this? You'd be surprised. Sometimes those ballpark giveaways you get, you get some, I don't even know what I did with mine. It looks Um, gas. I love it. It does. It does look good. It does look good. I feel great about it. All right. Let's wrap with a, a minor league report here and, and a couple of promotions. Um, Samuel Bisayo to double a Jackson Job to double a, um, and then whichever ones kind of come to your mind. But let's start with the Orioles catching prospect, Basayo, because this is on the heels of Jackson Holiday getting promoted to AAA um, last week. And Holiday going to triple is utterly insane. But this is a 19-year-old catcher in Samuel Basayo that was making mincemeat of high A in Aberdeen. And Basayo is a guy that many people had no idea who he was coming into this year. And now he's a top 50 prospect in baseball at year's end. I mean, to sign as an international free agent in 2021, make your pro debut at 16 at the DSL, and to already be in double A, it is absolutely insane. And this guy, I mean, it's just, it's a testament to the scouting that, that Oakland, or excuse me, that, that Baltimore is able to do here, and also just the development side of things as well. This is another dude in this system that's already an unbelievable system that is blossoming into a top 50 prospect in the game. And we're highlighting him because he turned 19 just after his promotion to high A. And in 27 games in high A, he's probably not going to stick at catcher, by the way, which is fine because the bat is so... Like, this guy This guy could be Matt Olsen-esque, which is the funny part. Like He could be a Matt Olsen-type bat. I don't know if he'll be as good defensively, of course, but like that's how much power this dude has. 27 games in high A as an 18-19-year-old. He slashed 333, 443, 688 with eight homers. He walked as much as he struck out in a 195 WRC+. plus. This dude is turning into one of the best bats, I think, arguably the best teenage bat in all of minor league baseball. And of course, he's in Baltimore. They have such an embarrassment of riches. And I'm really excited. The double A is going to be a test for him, but I'm really excited to see what he's going to do there for a little little taste and start the year next year in double A. This is a guy that is, when it comes to some of the top prospects in the system, he's in the untouchable territory for me. Yeah, I think so. And we were having this conversation on the call up um, where, you know, Basayo, like he doesn't need to play catcher because you have that Rutschman guy and he can also become a top 15 type prospect as a first baseman. Like that's how good yeah. that is. Um, when you think best overall teenage prospect, I think you immediately settle on Jackson Chorio with the Brewers. And then I think Ethan Salas of the Padres is is right there. But when you look at teenage bat, I mean, in terms of power bats right now, the two sexiest names are probably Basayo and Lazaro Montes in Seattle. Montes is getting this crazy helium right now. Oh, yeah. I'll still take Chorio over both of them. Like, yeah, for a sure. Doubt. But in terms of power bats, Basayo and Montes, if you want to get in on the ground floor. And then my king, Xavier Isaac. And yeah, in Tampa true. Bay. That's my he's king. 19 still. Yeah, he's 19 Damn. still. That guy's unbelievable. And that's a guy I know I've been bugging you about for a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a guy I wanted to highlight really quickly just because it's, it's just so cool what they're building over there. And then real quick, before I forget Wyatt Langford, I just want to talk about him because we were talking about how he could have easily been the number one overall pick in the draft. And, you know, I'm not making much of Dylan Cruz's slow start in double a, but on the flip side, I am going to make a lot of what Wyatt Langford is doing across all three levels so far, which is insane. This guy falls, quote unquote, to the Rangers. And again, what we talked about, I think Max Clark's going to be a great player, but it's one of those where I I don't know how you pass on this guy. 
the Rangers being able to get this guy is unbelievable. And, and I think it's part of the reason why they were okay with trading from the farm a little bit because they just instantly added a top. I think by the end of this year, he's a top 15 prospect in the game, arguably top 10 with what we're seeing from him, both from a power and speed standpoint. You got 33 games between rookie ball, high A and double A now at this point. He's slashing 333, 449, 633. He's walked more than he struck out. And again, like in the six games in double A has not missed a beat and has been awesome there. He's hitting the living crap out of the ball. He's flying all over the place. He can really motor. Uh, He's stealing some bags. The defense is getting better. Langford looks like he might end up being the guy that flies through the minor leagues as quick as anybody. That doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be better than Dylan Cruz. But right now, he looks like he's going to get there quicker with the way his game is progressing and how comfortable he looks against this double A competition. So 64 games with Florida this year, hit 373 with a 1282 OPS, 28 doubles, 21 pumps, 57 driven in, 56 walks, 44 punch outs. And then you just ran through the pro numbers too. Um, Here's me saying, I think he's just hot. I don't know if he's that good. I think he might just be hot in 2023 and you sit him for an off season and he may suck next year. That's me. That's my take. No, yeah, I'm joking. Um, he's amazing, man. Like, look at what he did as a sophomore at Florida last year. This guy had an 1166 OPS, and he somehow got better this year when he was the one that was circled 10 billion times on the lineup card. And now at every level in rookie ball, it's like, hey, this guy's too good for rookie ball. In high A, oh, this guy's too good for high A. In double A, he's too good here. He's going to start next year, I think, in triple A. He could be up by May. We'll Dude. see where the openings are in Texas because yeah. Evan Carter looks solid to start his pro career or start his big league career. Um, but man, like if there is an opening, whether it be the DH spot and you can move a dolly, I, I don't want to move a dolly. Dude, the Texas Rangers are in a really good spot and adding Langford to this fold is insane. I don't want to overreact, but 28 game sample here. And you know, the data points I love to look at 28 games. Like I need a little bit more, but 123 plate appearances is a fairly a large enough size for some of this to normalize, especially with aggressive promotions mixed in there. And I think I'll feel really confident by the end of the year with another you know, 10 games or so uh, under Langford's belt. 91% zone contact. I mean, that's when you're hitting the ball as hard as he is. 106.5 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity. You know that. Chase, you're a two-trick pony, man. <laughs> Those are the only two numbers you know. 17 percent chase rate. Those are the three things that are the largest indicators of success. Um, That's scary. That's scary. And then obviously I'll nerd out about the swing mechanics. It plays to all fields. So I'm pumped on Wyatt Langford. I I think he could force his way up real quick. Nerd out on the swing mechanics. Go ahead. I mean, people were worried about, you know, the front side kind of leaving a little bit early. and, And that was something that he worked on this year. And now he stays through the ball. And even when it looks like the front side's leaving, he's holding the back hip so well that it's power to all fields. He can be dragging back a little bit and you'll see him crush one the other way, 110. And if you hang one middle in pull side, the way that he's able to be rotationally explosive, he can put it 475 to the pull side. You've pulled up pictures of his lower half because of like that that pause. You've pulled up pictures (laughs) of like him walking in and the quads that the team posted. And I mean, you can see that strength in his swing. I haven't seen a guy use the ground 
as well as Wyatt Langford in a while coming out of the draft in terms of being able to generate unbelievable torque and power. And then his hands also work well. So he has this adjustability and this above average hit, and then it's plus plus power. And then it's an unbelievable approach as well. You can call me the, the three trick pony, but all three of those things are showing in the data checks, the eye test checks, the data. I'll push this guy forward. I I'm, I'm stamp. I'm stamping him. He's he's there's no way he busts. You're a three trick pony, man. Um, yeah, there's no way he busts. I'm totally with you. But hearing that from you, who is like so against the take like that, mm-hmm. is very impressive. Um, Langford, the forearms are massive. You see that just in like an everyday basis. But yeah, that photo that that the double A affiliate, the Frisco Rough Riders posted of him walking in with his bag, and it's like, hey, he's here. Seeing his legs in like shorts, I was like, holy shit, that's yeah. an athlete. That's, that's a how, big man. That's how he's able to hold his lower half and 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 stay back on breaking stuff. Like it, it's scary what he's already able to do. Yeah. Last one I want to open the floor for for you is Jackson Job, the Tigers right-handed pitching prospect. And Job was the number three overall pick in 21 or 22? Uh 21. 2021. Job is a guest on the call up recently and Jackson Job is on a crazy stretch right now. And he looks like a future frontline guy. Yeah. Well, first of all, check out that interview. Cause also if you go to the call up YouTube, you can see the live breakdown we did where I, I pulled some, some video from his recent starts and he broke down kind of his thought process and how he attacks hitters. And after that, I'm like, okay, we already knew this stuff was good. And again, it's I'll hit the same data points that I look at at pitching pitching prospects as well. He checks all the data points I look at there. Uh, I'd say it's probably more of a, a three or four trick pony when it comes to the pitching side of things. That's four classic barometers that I'm looking at, and he checks all of those from a data. He's a data darling pitching prospect. But then once I talk to him in the interview portion and then that live breakdown, I'm like, oh, this kid's gonna figure it out. And it's it's been unbelievable what he's been able to do. And I'm glad he's getting the bump up to double A because he got a late start this year in that Tiger system. You rarely see a guy pick number three overall out of high school as a right-handed arm. Uh, he was a guy that didn't pick up pitching really till later. Uh, top 35 prospect for us will be probably a top 25 in our end of season update. And a back issue kind of delayed his start to the year. They were super cautious. So he got to throw a lot of bullpens and just kind of work on things and ease his way in. Uh, and he was out longer than he probably needed to be. So his arm's super fresh and you're seeing that now. And he, he was able to work on some things. He added this change up that is disgusting. He talked about that kind of split grip that he's been working on. That's been a lights out pitch for him. You probably already, if you've heard one thing about Jackson Job, the name association is probably slider because of how nasty the slider is. That's where he kind of, you know, made a name for himself as a prospect, even though he picked up pitching, you know, towards the end of his high school career. And then he added this cutter, which just gives him another wrinkle as well that he throws in the low nineties. And now he's got four different ways that he can attack you. He has a ton of confidence in all four and he's super smart in the way that he attacks hitters. I'm like, this guy's going to be able to change his looks each time through the lineup, similarly to how we were talking about Yoshinobu Yamamoto. And funny enough, they're kind of similar in terms of the arsenal and, and the ability to pound the strike zone and the confidence in their stuff sits 96 and a half, 97 miles an hour. And what stands out the most to me, his last four starts in high A, Jack, 28 strikeouts, zero walks. Yep. What else do you want to see from a power right-handed arm at 21 years old than 28 strikeouts, zero walks, and a 53% ground ball rate? So when they are making contact, it's on the ground. He doesn't give out any free passes and he strikes out everybody. 
I mean, sign me the hell up. Just overall in high A, eight starts, 40 innings. That's five innings per start, 54 punch outs and three walks. The fuck? What? That, just for reference, 12 and a half Ks per nine, 0.7 walks per nine. And that's while adding two new pitches to his arsenal. So this guy is a debut candidate after the All-Star break next year, I think. He missed a lot of time with injury. 21 years old, you think, okay, high school draftee in in 21, you know, this guy's still got time. I don't think he needs that much time. It's interesting. I I, I remember, I forgot the comp that was thrown out there, but I I saw a write-up that was like, this is the most advanced high school pitching prospect that we've seen since Since. blank. And it was a really funny name. Um, But- and, and, a, and a good player, but it was just like, oh, well, I remember that guy. Yeah. And we didn't quite see that last year because he was trying to find himself. And I think he was dealing with some of that that lower back issue and, and whatever it may have been. And it just he didn't look like that super polished guy. And I'm like, yeah, that's really interesting. But this guy played multiple sports. He played shortstop. And it's just so athletic on the mound. And now you're just seeing it. And, and you're seeing some of the mechanical adjustments he's made and to work downhill. He talks about all of that on the call up and you should go check that out. But I, I would argue that. You know, aside from a healthy Andrew Painter and Paul Skeens, like I think Job is right there. I really do. like how many pitching prospects are you taking over Jackson Job? Because you have the safety net of this guy just found a changeup and he's throwing it for a strike seventy four percent of the time, which is which is absolutely insane, and it's nasty. He's getting a thirty eight percent whiff rate on it. Found um, it, was, it was pipeline in the draft right up Dylan Bundy. Dylan Bundy, that's who it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I was like, okay, that's that's a funny one. But yeah. but that's a great, like a great advanced polish. He was pull. a great prospect. Yeah, awesome. I mean, that a fine career. But I I who are you taking over Jackson Job as a pitching prospect? Like just yeah. to, for those that are play dynasty or whatever, like go pick him up before it's too late. Yeah. Because so, I know health is a concern with every pitcher in the world, but this is a guy that you know, again, it was like low back like inflammation, and they we're so careful with him and his arm is as fresh as ever. So knock on wood, you can't control those kinds of things, but um, I don't know who I'd take over him. I'm not taking Mizorowski over him. No Skeens, painter. Um, I'm taking those two over, over Joe, I think fair Horton. I think it's real close. I think it's real close. That's Tiedemann? where I think he's closed the gap on Horton. Man, Tiedemann makes me too nervous. I'd take Job. Yeah. So Tigers fans have a lot to be excited about. How about Sixto Sanchez? (laughs) Last thing on Sixto Sanchez. Yeah, Yeah, we'll we'll call it a wrap on this. By the time people are listening to this, Sixto Sanchez will have thrown in an organized baseball game for the first time since just baseball has been conceived. Like, (laughs) that's crazy. This is the first time. See, even before he was throwing before we were project the plate, he was throwing probably. I mean, this was before we were doing anything. It was April of 2021 where like episode one of the Project the Plate podcast came out. And he threw his last organized game in spring training, March of 2021, I believe. So a month before Project the Plate, which was the, you know, feeder to just baseball existed. Yes. Because I realized that people would read it as Project the Plate. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. I don't think I knew about it at the time that... When I watched Sixto Sanchez in the 2020 postseason, I don't think I knew what you guys were doing. I don't think we knew what we were doing. So that puts it in perspective. So Sixto, by the way, if people are wondering why, shoulder issues, had a shoulder surgery, 
I can pretty much confirm through multiple sources, and I know Craig Mish has confirmed this too. Sixto was not keen on grinding the required amount to to get his arm back. Band and work tra- is so overrated, anyways. I'm yeah, I agree. Sixto, yeah. <laughs> why 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 work hard to get yourself back, and um, just would try to throw again, and then his arm would flare up, and then he had another shoulder procedure, and then he tried to throw again, and then his arm would flare up, and he just was very frustrated and upset, and then wouldn't do the things that he needed to do to get right. And I think he saw the. I think the the twilight potentially of his career at this point, you know, it was like, okay, now I really got to work hard to, to get back and you know, props to him. He's worked hard to get back reportedly up to 94 last time he was on the mound. And, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see how this looks from him in a uh, double a in this rehab start, but it's, I, I didn't think we'd, we'd see him on the mound again. I'll be honest. He was so gross for that moment in 2020. And he is the fever dream baseball player. In 2020, 39 innings, he had a 3-4-6 ERA. His postseason, five shutout innings against the Cubs, and then three innings of four-run ball against the Braves. But that Cubs outing, I remember just watching Sixto throw against the Cubs at Wrigley, and it was everybody was masked up, and no one was allowed in there. I was just like, who the f- – the, who, holy shit. It just added Maybe. to the allure, too. It's like if nobody saw him throw in the playoffs, did it really happen? And yeah. it's like, no, I don't know. No one really saw him throw uh, other Sid than Finch. on TV. He was Sid Finch. You could have convinced me that he was a hologram, but he's back and he's not going to pitch this year. I, I want to make that clear. He's not pitching for the Marlins this year, but man, I mean, if, if this guy can get back and be anything at all for them, that's, that's a, a great ending to what I thought would be a much worse story, but I'm not holding my breath on this one, unfortunately. Yeah. But He's going to be a blue Wahoo. Um, a shout out to Fort Wayne Tin Caps in the Midwest League playoffs. Go get him, baby. I was ready to I was ready to drive to Fort Wayne if Dylan Lesko was pitching. Uh, Lesko is not pitching. I will not be driving to Fort Wayne, but I'll be watching Fort Wayne on TV. So oh, yeah. uh, everything you need is in the episode description. Get your Just Baseball merch. Go listen to the other shows. Uh, great couple interviews coming up on the call up and a great uh, couple interviews last week and the week before. Davis Schneider, if you haven't listened to that interview, it is excellent. Go listen to the new face of the Toronto Blue Jays hmm. and a two hundred million dollar extension candidate this offseason. I think in David Schne- in Davis you gotta, Schneider, you got to throw. They got to throw that at him now. You have now, to throw it before at it's him too now. late. He's on pace for fifteen WAR. They got to do it now. He's going to sign a twenty five year, eight hundred and seventy three million dollar deal. Dude signed for fifty thousand dollars out of high school. I think he's already made more in in the two month and a half he's been up there than he did in his entire professional baseball career. Give him a pre-arb extension right now for the Please. love of God. Please. Get my boy the bag. All he does is just hang with his dog. He talks about it. Just dog needs to eat too. Get get him dog. some some fancy food. Get him some yeah, like of sure. that true like what's it called the uh, it, the direct like farm to table dog food like yeah. the real salmon shit. Yeah. Get, get his dog some I, sandwich. I, I I'd imagine that's the first thing he buys. I'm sure. I'm sure. And then maybe like a used Volkswagen Jetta. Seems like a simple guy like that. We will talk to you tomorrow. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.